Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy, crime, LGBT, thriller. You have now entered the House of Mystery. With your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and our word. Heard on 106.5 FM Los Angeles. 102.3 FM Riverside. And 1050 AM Palm Springs. Welcome back into the House of Mystery. And of course, I'm Mal Warren. Co-host is David North Martino. My real name again. Yeah, I know. Two That's days crazy. in a row. and just, <laughs> Well, you know, I mean, after that last week, I was getting too much mail about being oh, mean. Yeah. <laughs> I was being mean again. I was on the uh, upswing of, uh, ah. you know. And, well, answer to anything. Just about, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> no, I just, yeah. So, so I thought I'd be polite for the week and then they can, maybe they'll pick on you. Maybe. Maybe you'll say I, something. I welcome it. Yeah. <laughs> so don't ask for it. You'll get it. You know? I know. Right? People have nothing to do, you know. And I guess you're you're jumping off of Twitter right away. Hey? You're hiding now because. Oh yeah, I'm in hiding. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Crazy all that people just go wild with these stories. So yeah. Well. Uh, okay. Yeah, I know. Uh, so let's see. Um, now we are talking about. Um, Marilyn Monroe today. Now, we're not talking about any of the uh, conspiracies that we've had on before, those silly things. What we're going to do is talk about Marilyn on a realistic kind of life portrait sort of way. And we've got an incredible author from the UK that's written several books um, covering Marilyn and kind of different parts of her life. So a new book coming out, uh, When Marilyn Met the Queen, Marilyn Monroe's Life in England. And that comes out, I believe it's next week on Tuesday, May 3rd. So um, the author's here, Michelle Morgan. Thank you for being here. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. 
Oh, it's a pleasure. This is a thrill. Um, it, it'll be good to talk about Marilyn as more of a human being and kind of more realistic things than space aliens and lizard people <laughs> and stuff. You know, it's just, you've written several books now. You've covered her a lot. What is the um, attraction for you to to in-depthly cover Marilyn Monroe? Well, I've been a fan since I was 15, which is way back in 1985. And I I just always, you know, I loved her ever since then. And so when I first started writing, it seemed like a natural thing to, to write about, about Marilyn. And so I wrote my first book in 1995, which was like a, a little book called Marilyn's Addresses. And since then, it's just been, I've been very, very lucky that opportunities keep coming my way to to write about her again um you know I've, I've done like an um a full biography of her and then but um different publishers have asked me to write different things like about her modeling career or her life in new york in the 1950s and that kind of thing so um yeah you know i'm always very very happy to write about marilyn she's she's such a joy to write about and i i just feel like you know how how is this work <laughs> if somebody wants me to write about Marilyn then you know I'm I'm always looking at looking at Marilyn pictures and reading about her anyway so you know how can I say no she's just a blessing right I I I see that that now when you do something like this when you're doing the research and things like that and you try to you know find people or that that newer or places and you try to find out information how how do people act or react with you um, well, yeah, that's such a good question. So, sometimes people are, are, are quite standoffish and they don't want to speak because they've spoken before and maybe their words have been taken out of context or that, you know, they've had their fingers burnt in some other way. Um, and I try and persuade them that, you know, that I'm a nice girl and that I won't, you know, I won't do anything awful. And, and they, they open up to me and, um, you know, some people do still say no. Um, you know, I asked Arthur Miller, for instance, um, when he was alive, if he would be interviewed for one of the books and he straight out was just like, you know, no, and that was it. Um, but for the most part, I found that a lot of people are quite happy to talk about Marilyn. Um, sadly, uh, you know, unfortunately, quite a few of the people that she knew or worked with have now left us. Um, but I've been very privileged over the years to be able to speak to to quite a few and they were all lovely. Uh, you know, I came away from each call or each meeting thinking, you know, that I've found a new friend. And oftentimes I have because they're just, you know, they, they've all been just lovely people. And to be honest, I haven't met, well, maybe maybe one or two who've said, you know, negative things about her. But for the most part, people want to speak about the real Marilyn and, and who she really was and and how happy she made them and, you know, what it was like to actually know her, which I think is really important. Well, what do you think the uh, biggest misconception or the biggest thing is that people in general public um, think they know about her that you know isn't true? I think the main thing is that people think that she was a dumb blonde because of the roles that she played on the screen. And she actually addressed this during her life and said, you know, she didn't really understand it. And I don't understand it either because, you know, she she was an actress and she played these dumb blonde roles. Some of them weren't dumb blondes at all. Um, but there's absolutely no reason for people to think that she was dumb as a person. 
you know, she she had a huge book collection. She was never without her head in a book. She she studied acting. She she did all these different things that you know, she was very brave. She was very um, strong and determined. And she was in no way, shape or form a dumb blonde. And if you speak to anybody who knew her, nobody has ever said to me she was so dumb. Nobody. Everyone is always um, very forthright in their um, observation that she she was very, very smart. So what what brought her to uh, the UK? What brought her to England? Well, she came over here in, in 1956 to make a movie called The Prince and the Showgirl with Laurence Olivier. And she wanted to work with Laurence Olivier because he was the the you know the so-called greatest actor and um, she thought that that would make people take her more seriously. He was quite keen to work with her because he was having trouble getting another film off the ground and he thought that it would just be this sort of fluffy rom-com that he could just, you know, sort of do and then go get back to the more serious Shakespearean stuff. And so, yeah, that's why she came over here. Both of them thought that it would be a wonderful time. Um, unfortunately for them, it didn't work out that way. They didn't get along at all. And um, so, yeah, it's been really interesting to to write about that because both of their, their you know, misconceptions, they had just had so many misconceptions of what, what, what was going to happen on the set every day. And it just didn't work out like that. So that's, that's been really interesting to delve into. Well, what would be the problem? Was it, is, is it because of the, you know, Olivier being more of a, a serious trained theatrical actor and Marilyn being more, I guess, of a com commercial success actress? Is it just sort of the difference of their approach to acting or was it personal? I think that, that well, I think that it, that it was both of those things. Um, when uh, Laurence Olivier was the director and he introduced Marilyn to the rest of the cast and crew, most of which he had already worked with before. So they were all old friends, all working at Pinewood together or in the theatre together. And he basically introduced her and said, you know, that her technique wasn't the same as their technique. So they, they would have to be a bit patient or, you know, what words to that effect. And, and she took that as being very condescending and patronising. And from that moment, she wondered, you know, what she was getting herself into. Um, and you know, vice versa, he, he then wondered about her technique because she was a method trained actress and she brought along all her entourage and the you know, her drama coach and everybody else. And of course, then she, she was also not known to be on time. So she was quite often late on the set. Sometimes she didn't come at all. And all of those things just sort of worked everybody up. Um, but within that story, there's so many layers to the story because there's that story of them actually making the film. But then there's the other story as well of the, the press and the, the journalists and everyone else got so angry because they were kept away from the set by Laurence Olivier. So they, they spent a lot of time trying to break into the set and trying to create these different stories and find out all the different scandals and all that kind of thing. And, and then there's also the story of the whole of the UK just went completely Marilyn crazy in the summer of 1956. Everybody wanted her to come and open their garden fates or their supermarkets or whatever it was. And so there's, you know, there's so many layers to, to the, the, the story. Um, but, you know, at the, at the very heart of it is the fact that these two superstars just really, really hated each other by the end of the trip and they couldn't <laughs> wait to say goodbye.
<laughs> well, that's you know it happens, but it's uh, it, it's funny. Did you, did you have any um, problems finding out about their relationship from anybody? Were were people kind of protective of what really went on behind the scenes? And I, I was really lucky. I mean, I've been researching this book for thirty years. This is weirdly, this is the first book that I ever wanted to write. Now I've now had like twenty five books published. And it, this was the very, very first book that I ever wanted to write. So back in 1992, I started to research and I started to interview people. And some of the people that I was in, that I was trying to interview then, they wouldn't speak to me at that point. Um, I don't know whether they just, they thought maybe it was too, still too close to, you know, to, to reality or, or whether it was because I'd never written a book or, or what I don't know. But then over the years, I've, I've been able to interview more and more people and they were all from then on, they were all very forthcoming about about working with Marilyn and Laurence Olivier. And um, you know, I've interviewed a few people in the past couple of years who were just so glad to be able to revisit those days. And, you know, they would tell me these little stories that that were very little to them because it was things that they did on an everyday basis at the studio and I was just going crazy. Going, oh my God, that's the best story ever. And they must've thought that I was just, you know, bonkers. Um, but they, they all really enjoyed going back to those times and, and talking about not just Marilyn, but you know, what their life, that life, life was like in, in Pinewood Studios and, and their working day and everything else. So it's been, it's been a huge blessing for me to speak to all of these people. Well, I was just I was just wondering, you know, you're talking about your first book uh, coming out uh, or writing, writing it in 1992. What what made you uh, want to write? Well, it, it's funny because when I was a teenager, I always thought I wanted to be an actress. And I think that was mm. mainly because Marilyn was an actress. And at that point, I was like, well, I want to be like Marilyn. <laughs> and so I used to write these letters to producers and things and you know, theater companies and stuff. And every single one of them would write back to me and say, I don't know how you can act, but you sure can tell a good story or you sure can write a good letter. And it, it suddenly occurred to me when I was about 20 that I'm not actually an actress. I'm a writer <laughs> because I, they used to say to me, OK, come for an audition. And I'd be like, oh, no, 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 I can't go for an audition. What are you talking about? And then. It, it just suddenly just occurred to me, you know, my whole life I've written stories and um, imaginary articles and imaginary books and all these things I, I used to read. I still do read all the time. And so it uh, it was just suddenly like an awakening. And I remember going to my acting teacher and saying, oh, I'm not going to be an actress anymore. I'm going to be a writer. And she sort of poo-pooed it. And um, <laughs> it gave me great pleasure to send her a copy of my book a couple of years later and say, well, you know, I am a published author now. Oh, but I'm that's sure. really how it happened. I <laughs> yeah. just like just woke up. Yeah, take that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, how was Marilyn in the UK, like before she arrived, first of all, was she popular there or was she not really a, a figure they knew about? No, she was she was very, very popular. She was as popular over here as she was in America. And when it was first announced that she was coming over here, um, everybody was just so excited about it. The newspapers were sending journalists to the house that they thought that she was going to live in. Um, to they, Some of them like took pictures of her bedroom. One of them took a picture of him lying on the bed that they thought that she was going to be staying in. I mean, everyone was just, you know, really excited about her coming over here. 
So she was a huge star when she came, but I think she was even bigger by the time she left. So was she received really well then when she when she arrived in, in London? She was. Um, a couple of days before she arrived, her representatives went to London Airport to talk about the security issues. And, um, the, you know, the, the stuffed shirts in the offices were like, oh, no, 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 we're not, we don't go for that kind of thing here. Uh, you know, we, <laughs> we're, we're just going to treat it like any other arrival. And then by the time she left New York, they, they had realized that it was going to be a huge thing when she came. And by the time her plane left, there was literally hundreds of people on the tarmac. There was people actually on the, on the planes looking over the, on, you know, the, the wings of the planes and everything. Everyone just went crazy for her. So she, yeah, it was a huge deal when she came. Um, and then after that, everybody used to crowd around her door or her, her, her driveway gate trying to see her. Um, people were, you know, going up the driveway, trying to get into the house. We had the students who came and serenaded her under her bedroom window in the middle of the night. You know, just people just wanted, everybody wanted to see Marilyn. Um, but the thing, the thing was that everybody who thought that she was going to spend a lot of time um, conversing with the journalists who were camped outside her driveway, they became disappointed. And so the, the, the mood sort of started to shift when the journalists realized that they that she wasn't going to be as open to them as she was with the public and, um, you know, that she was actually here to work. So the media for a time did sort of not sour towards her, but kind of made snipey little remarks about her. But certainly the, the people still loved her. And they, you know, I, I spoken to so many people who spent their summer holidays that year, just standing at the gates of her house, waiting for her to come out. And I just love that. I love that, those stories. And, you know, everyone just seemed to love her. Yeah, that's what I have to go through. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're always waiting at the gates of my house. <laughs> well, that, With that's, picket signs. Yeah, well, yeah, that's for a different reason, but yeah. I wasn't going to mention that. But. <laughs> now, so, and you mentioned how the uh, press was um, a little snipey, or in, in the book part, you kind of meant to say they're, they're hostile, actually. So was that the the primary reason that they they had that kind of hostile behavior toward her or was it something more yeah i think i think it was because they couldn't have access to her it de it definitely was you know they were trying to get into the set and Lawrence olivier was keeping them off the set and they they did get hostile um towards you know not towards him in a physical way but you know in in words um they, yeah, they just didn't like the fact that that Marilyn was being kept away from people, and and it was funny because they blamed Laurence Olivier for not being able to get to her at Pinewood, and then they blamed her husband Arthur Miller for not being able to get to her at Parkside House where they were living, and then if she turned down an event, they were like, oh well, you know, why why is she doing that event, but she's not doing this event, and you know, they they desperately wanted more press conferences i mean they had four press conferences in the first couple of days that she arrived here and they basically just thought that it would go on like that for the whole trip and when it didn't they they became um a little bit disgruntled and and i remember i interviewed one well i just i think you know i think of him as a young lad because he was back in the 50s but he's not a young lad now um, he was standing outside the gates and a journalist actually gave him a letter and said, you know, I dare you to go over the fence and go and give this letter to Marilyn. You know, they just all sorts of things like that. And then some 
two other journalists got into the grounds and they scaled up to the top of the house and tried to dangle off the roof to try and see Marilyn in her in her bedroom. And just all things like this. They were very, very frustrated that they, that she wouldn't give them the time that they wanted to have with her. Yeah, sounds like it. Well, you know, but that's the press, you know. Yeah. Awful people. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, so that's that's curious. So now, how did the Queen um, decide, or why did the Queen decide she was actually going to meet with Marilyn? Like, how did that whole thing happen? Well, Marilyn really, really wanted to meet the Queen. And she, from the moment she came here, she started buying things that the Queen liked. Like, you know, she, she went to Harrods and um, she bought gloves from the Queen's glove maker and, you know, little, little bits and pieces like this. And she, she desperately wanted to, to meet her. her. Her dream was to go to Buckingham Palace and, you know, have tea with the Queen, which would have been amazing. Um, but unfortunately, that didn't happen. But she used to she had a press um a press person who who used to have a list of things that he that she wanted him to do and one of the things was you know meet the queen and Laurence Olivier would sort of you know poo-poo it and you know just take it off the list every day um he didn't think that she was worthy really of meeting the queen um however the queen's representatives knew that there was going to be this royal command performance coming up and they thought that Marilyn would be ideal to meet to meet the Queen. And it may not have been, you know, tea at Buckingham Palace or Windsor Castle, but it, it was it was going to be a huge event. There was lots of celebrities there. And it was a, a film premiere where all of the celebrities were lined up and Marilyn was one of them. And the Queen came down the line and she shook everybody's hand. And then when she got to Marilyn, they had a little conversation because the Queen said to Marilyn, oh, I hear that we're neighbours. And Marilyn was a bit confused. And she says, well, I, you know, I live in, in Surrey. And the Queen says, but I just live next door in Windsor. And so they had a little bit of a discussion about that and about riding her bicycle in the park and things like that. And then the Queen moved on and Princess Margaret then spoke to Marilyn as well. And she spoke about um, Marilyn's husband, Arthur Miller, was doing a play at the time. And Marilyn asked her if she would go along and see the play. And the funny thing was, um, I wrote to her in the 1990s and said, you know, do you remember if you did go and see the play? And she ha- had actually did go um, because Marilyn had asked her to. And um, so it was a huge night. And then afterwards, Marilyn was quite happy to speak to the press that night about what she thought of the Queen. And she thought she was a very sweet person who radiated sweetness, she said. And she she showed them how she did her curtsy and all that kind of thing. So that was a, a huge big deal for Marilyn. And actually, she said that that was the highlight that and Arthur Miller's play with the highlights of actually being in England. She didn't mention working on the film as being a highlight. She just thought those two things were the, were the best things she'd done. Wow. And so was Olivier jealous that he wasn't, or did he get to meet her too? Or? Well, I mean, Olivier was, you know, friend of the Royals. And I think that's one of the reasons why he didn't want Marilyn to meet, meet her because, you know, he thought that, I mean, I'm just, you know, yeah. presuming, um, that you know he was the one who who had friends in royalty, and I'm not sure what his reaction was after he after Marilyn had met the Queen, but I I can't imagine that he was very impressed by the whole thing. I mean, by that time they had almost finished making the film anyway, so he was sort of distancing himself from the whole debacle anyway. So I can't imagine that it, it made 
any kind of um, you know effect on his day at all other than the fact that Marilyn was late that day the next day coming back <laughs> was it just it was it just her behavior at, at work and maybe the way she acted that Olivier didn't like or was there something more going on here um, well, he wrote in his autobiography that he had he had a feeling that he was going to fall in love with Marilyn. Um, so possibly he was a bit disappointed by the fact that 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 didn't happen at all. But um, yeah, he, she it was the way that she was always late on the set or when she came onto the set and they'd be all in full costume and something would happen. He would say something that she didn't disagree with and she would just walk off and she'd be gone for a couple of hours. And sometimes somebody would have to go to, to the dressing room and just you know beg her to, to come back so it was quite a challenge to work with her I mean so many people have said that it was a challenge to work for Marilyn or with, with Marilyn and um, he just wanted everything to go to plan the way it had when they did it in the theatre because they'd done that play in the theatre and everything was fine he just wanted you know a quick make this film and get out of here but it didn't happen that way did did that film do well or no? Well, it, it had mixed reactions, really. I mean, I absolutely love it um, because, you know, I'm a Marilyn fan and I'm British and it's a British film and all this sort of stuff. Um, but it did have mixed reactions, although um, so many critics, actually, this is a funny thing, the critics sort of said that Marilyn was one of the best things in it and Laurence Olivier was very stilted and, you know, and, and they didn't really understand his character or what he was doing. Um, but Marilyn, you know, was she did receive quite good reviews for it. So in that way, it, it was a success. Did the, did the Queen ever talk about Marilyn? Well, the Queen famously doesn't talk about anybody. Right. Um, so we don't know. But I know that she had seen Marilyn's films because a, a couple of years before she met Marilyn, they they went to another um, film premiere and um, Jane Russell was there and the Duke of Edinburgh and the Queen spoke to her and they actually mentioned Gentlemen Prefer Blondes so they had seen that and they, they talked about that for a little while and then shortly after the meeting um, there was an article in the newspaper that said that the, the Queen um, as a result of meeting Marilyn the Queen had watched a lot of Marilyn's other films and the, and this was a, a funny thing because she, she was also um, quoted by a friend, you know, in inverted commas, as saying that she felt sorry for Marilyn because she had she had licked all of her lipstick off um, out of nerves on the night that she met her. And if you look at the old footage, there is Marilyn licking all her lipstick off. So that's quite a, that's quite an interesting observation. Um, but yeah, famously, she doesn't actually say anything. I mean, I've, I've, I wrote to her in the 90s and said, you know, would you like to tell me about how you know what it was like to meet Marilyn and um no I, I didn't I didn't get an exclusive interview with the Queen unfortunately <laughs> well you know she must she mustn't have got the letter yeah <laughs> <laughs> I mean how could she not you know exactly uh, so the whole thing is it's just pretty amazing um so when someone picks up this book takes it home is there something you hope that they take away from the book other than the actual you know, story of just, you know, the Queen meeting Marilyn and that. Was there something more? I, I hope that when people read the book, they'll see Marilyn as a human being, because so many times, you know, she's 
she's seen as this person on the screen, this dumb blonde or whatever on the screen and um, or just a, a pinup on somebody's wall. And But she was a real life human being. And I think that the book shows that she, she was a, you know, a living, breathing person with faults and with wonderful um, personality as well. And um, so I just I just hope that they see how hard she worked. And it wasn't an easy trip. It wasn't easy to be over here with you know surrounded by strangers from you know who all appeared to know each other um it was a hard trip for her so i hope that they do come away um seeing marilyn as a human being just like you all hey i'm ryan reynolds recently i asked mint mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation they said yes and then when i asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts they said what the f- are you talking about you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Or or I um yeah that would that would be a lovely thing if if people saw that of her. Why do you, why do you think that people had that impression? Is it just just the way Hollywood presented her and, and the way she was shown in magazines and things like what, because like, and, and I say that because there's a plenty of, you know, other actresses. And even during the time that became famous, that were also good looking and had more of a, a, a reputation of, of different than her. You know what I mean? Consider it to be more mm-hmm. smart, I guess that's, that's the word. Mm-hmm. I I don't know. I think that's the million dollar question. I think I think that it it hasn't helped from from when Marilyn passed away until now that you know the 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 strange articles that have popped up over the years saying that she's one thing or another and um, it's just 
you know, I think I think everybody has a, a, a different idea of, of why that happened. Um, it, it's peculiar to me because, you know, you don't look at, at any other actor, like you don't look at Johnny Depp and think that he's really a pirate or you don't look at <laughs> Arnie and think that he's really a robot. You know, it's just, it's, it's incredible to me but that, that people look at Marilyn and go, oh yes, she's a dumb blonde. It, that is, is very strange. I think it probably says more about them than it does about Marilyn in all honesty. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's just strange how that's, and it's held on for yeah. years. It's not like, um, you know, what was your favorite thing to learn uh, during researching this book or writing it? Um, I loved hearing about how Marilyn was with the residents of Englefield Green, which was where she lived. Um, it was so lovely to hear about, you know, she used to come to the gates and talk to the people and, and what she used to speak to them about and what she, you know, all the different things that they, they, they spoke to her about. And that, that was lovely because that, that showed her in a very um, down to earth, you know, sort of normal way. I loved that. I also loved finding out about how, different people chose to use Marilyn's name and Marilyn's image to further their own cause um you know for instance like you know beauty queens if they if they looked like Marilyn but didn't win the beauty contest they'd complain and say well people don't like Marilyn Monroe types why don't they like Marilyn Monroe types you know they you were using her name constantly in the press to sort of further their 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 own feelings about different things and she was discussed in houses of parliament and you know, different councils up and down the country there was councillors who wanted her to to be on road signs <laughs> you <know>, just silly <laughs> things like that that um the, you know that 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 never happened but there was all these different layers of, of different things that people wanted Marilyn to do while she was over here and that was really always really fun to find out because it was something very different I thought and um some of the, the stories were, were very funny. And I think it, as well, it gives a, a nice look at, you know, what 1950s Britain was like, which, you know, I'm always very nostalgic for that. So, yeah, that was lovely. Well, having written so many books about Marilyn, uh, why do you think uh, people have such an insatiable appetite uh, to learn more about her? I think that it's because she's many different things to many different people. You know, mm. some some people love uh, the fact that she spoke out against Hollywood or, or the, the the men of Hollywood, she, they they loved that she studied acting. Some people just love the image of her on the screen um, or on on their walls in posters. All these different things. So I think that she's. I mean, it's it's it's, it's such a deep question because it's it, she's just so many things to to so many different people, and I think that's what keeps her her memory going because we all have a a particular type of um you know Marilyn that we like and a different uh, era that we like to to read about or find out about I mean you know I love I love all of her life but there are there are things that I've always loved you know like the England trip or whatever and when she was in New York so yeah I think she's just many different things to many different people and and I love that so the place she was staying at was it the place the press thought it was with taking pictures of the bed and all that or where did she stay um, no, it wasn't that house. This was the funny thing. That house actually belonged to a very eccentric lady um, called Mrs. Coates Preedy. And um, <laughs> she, she was this lady who thought that she was going to become Marilyn's best friend because her her house had been rented for Marilyn. And um, she was she said that she'd kept this scrapbook and it was you know just all about all the different things that that was in the press and all the things that they were going to do. And 
it was just quite funny actually how she thought that she was going to become this you know hugely popular person in Marilyn's life and she spoke to the press all the time and of course that's why Marilyn never stayed there because she she completely you know just told everybody where she was going to stay so they just let her ramble on about Marilyn becoming her best friend she even went on the television about it and they quietly rented a house called Parkside House which was in Surrey and um, so she went to stay there but nobody found out about that until the actual day that she was here and the press you know were, were sort of adamant that they they would know they would find out where she was going and then of course they followed her car and they did find out where she was um, much to the the horror of Mrs Coates Creedy who was left with Marilyn's entourage instead of actually hosting <laughs> Marilyn and going to parties with her, which is what she thought was going to happen. <laughs> well, um, and, and so you, you mentioned too, that like, um, did she like living in the department? Like, did she like living down in Surrey or how was that? Well, she expected that it was going to be like a little English cottage. And I think, you know, with flowers around the, the door and the little thatched um, roof and everything. And of course, when she got there, it was a, a mansion. It belonged to a lord um, who, who wanted to show them all around and everything. So I think she was quite shocked by how big the, the house was. And it came with a whole host of servants and not just servants in the house, but servants in, in the garden. You know, there was the, the gardener. There was a lady there who, you know, who cared for the chickens and the herbs and things like that, the vegetable garden and, and all that kind of thing. So um, she she was never seemed to be on her own in that house. There was always people like looking and, you know, listening and, and seeing what was going on. So I think it was quite a, a, a shock. Um, so in terms of actually living there, um, I think she was probably quite, glad to leave um, but she did have some happy times there you know, like I said when the the fans used to come to the gate she would spend a lot of time speaking to them because that to her they, they were just you know the normal person off the street who who she could um, identify with because she saw herself that way too and um, yeah and it was sort of an escape from all the different prying eyes of all over Parkside House. Oh I bet and so you mentioned that about it the house about um servants and people like that giving stories to the press mm, yes there were there were so there were certain stories that sort of popped up that um that were tr tr there were actually things that she had said or things that she had done and people started to wonder what was going on and it did turn out that yeah that, that t a couple of the servants had sold stories and they were fired um so that didn't go down very well and Arthur Miller actually wrote about that in his autobiography and I think the official line at the time was that they were fired because they didn't cook the right kind of food or something. It was something really strange. <laughs> and that was what made the headlines. But actually, it was because they, you know, they had been speaking to the press. And then after that, of course, every time the press came near the house, everybody sort of backed off because they didn't want to be the ones, you know, being kicked down the drive after the last <laughs> lot. Well, you know what her thoughts were on the press? I think that, you know, the media is kind of a double-edged sword for any celebrity. <laughs> yeah, I think that she, when, when when it was on her terms, she really liked them. Like when she did the mm. press conferences and everything, um, the press were wrapped around her little finger. She loved it. And, you know, she, she really 
brought brought everyone together in the room and she was just wonderful in it but when they started to sit outside her door she didn't like that I mean she wanted the public side um, of, of being available to the press but then she wanted her you know human being private side which I can absolutely understand and she she did not like them hanging off the wind you know off the the roof looking through her bedroom window for instance <laughs> I think she could have done without that oh geez that's just the beginning of the fun yeah. come on <laughs> and so this whole trip, um, when she went back to America, how do you think this UK trip changed her? Did you notice something different in her behaviors after she went back to the US? I think that she she did want more privacy. And um, certainly the, the next year, 1957, she didn't work at all. Her and Arthur Miller sort of divided their time between living in New York and um, Connecticut and Long Island. And she just, she she said when she was leaving England that from now on what she wanted to be was a wife. She wanted to concentrate on being, you know, Mrs. Arthur Miller and living this, you know, so-called normal life. So I think it did, it did show her um, a little bit about, you know, what she was missing because she came over here as a newlywed. They had literally just been married a couple of weeks. So to get that start, um, over here of everybody just into her business as soon as she came over here um, with a new husband was was quite a surprise to her so I think that she did go go back home thinking that she wanted to recover from the the making of the film and just just be quiet for a while which she which she was for a good year and a half before she went into making some like it hot which you know that wasn't they didn't start shooting that until um, mid 1958. So she did have a very long block of time off, which she hadn't, she hadn't really done before. Well, what was Arthur Miller, her husband's opinion or his kind of overall attitude toward the UK and, and how Marilyn, you know, how it, how it treated her, for instance? Like, what was his thoughts? I think he really loved the UK. Um, he did a play over here. He was very comfortable here. And in fact... Um, the I think one of the government departments actually asked him if he was, you know, actually um, planning on leaving because he seemed to be too comfortable over here, <laughs> and they were a bit worried that his passport would run out and he'd still be here. Um, but I think that he was surprised by what it was like to be with Marilyn as a working actress because he hadn't really seen that side before. She, when they were going out with each other, she had been making bus stop, but he hadn't been with her all that time when she was making it but now here he was he was asked to be going onto the set you know some days um he 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 was asked to you know be on her side instead of Olivier's when it's sometimes he actually felt a little bit sorry for Olivier so I think it was a bit of a, a confused time for him but certainly he he really did enjoy being over here himself by his own admission he he thought it was a a lovely place and he of course he visited again many times yeah, that's funny, you know. Uh, so he didn't really fight with Olivier, or he wasn't mad at her for mad at him for being mean to her. No, and that and that caused a little bit of chaos too, because he actually he felt like he couldn't speak to Marilyn about you know the way that she was on the set and things like that, and he did feel more compassion towards Olivier at times, and so he ended up writing his thoughts on a notebook. And um, somehow 
We don't quite know how, but somehow Marilyn was able to see it. Um, the, the, the official story is that it was um, on one of his desks and she came to look for a pen or her script or something and she came across it. And it said something about how he was disappointed in her um, and she took it very, very badly. And that, I mean, that caused chaos on the set too because she had a bit of, you know, a, a breakdown. So she was off work for a while and um, it was a, it was a very, very horrible time. And I know many, many people who say, oh, he should never have done that. That was the beginning of the end. That was a terrible thing to do. And it, it was, a, it was a terrible thing that she found it, but I, I, I had to approach this when writing the book. I had to approach it in the way of a writer and to think of myself in a way, because, you know, we do write things down. Writers are, you know, they, we write stuff down that we can't speak <laughs> about. And, and you know, I, I have to say, in the early years of my marriage, if my husband had re read my diary, <laughs> we'd have had the same situation, you know, because it's just... It's just one of those things. So I sort of came came at it by you know at that at that angle, and and I completely understand that he had to write down his feelings. Why he didn't hide it, I I don't really understand that. I don't know how that happened, but it's a terrible thing that she found it, and it's a terrible thing that that you know that she thought those words were um, were his official words on on how how he felt when actually it probably was just a spur of the moment you know he probably thought it wrote it down got got on with his life and then of course she found it which was a a terrible mistake of his to make well maybe he wanted her to find it well yes well that's the that's the thing we we just don't know and he never really spoke about it so no we we just you know we just have our imaginations <laughs> we just have to guess you know yeah well you know, I'm with the press. Let me change this. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, well, that's, it's pretty amazing. So um, so the book comes out in, in the week. Uh, it comes out on the second. That's fantastic. Um, Thanks. What, so what have you got planned next? Are you going to continue to write more about Marilyn? Have you got more stories to come up with? I'd love to write more about Marilyn. I mean, you know, she's my, she's my happy place. I just love her. And you know, when, whenever a publisher comes to me and, and says, oh, we've got a good idea for a, another Marilyn book, if it's a great idea and, you know, I want to hear about it, for sure, I definitely, I, I would never, ever say that I would never write about Marilyn again because I just I just love it so much. Um, but, I'm, you know, I've, I've also written about many other people. Um, so, I, I, you know, I, I like to write about whoever whoever I can and I'm I'm also I've also written several novels so I'm going to write another novel hopefully this year um so yeah I'd like to keep busy but at the at the heart of everything I do is um you know is Marilyn and, and if anyone ever wants me to write a good book about Marilyn then you know I would have to have a pretty good reason why I wouldn't want to do it well there you have <laughs> it you know and um now so do you have a website or do you have social media that you like to interact with, with fans and readers? I do. I have Instagram and um, Twitter and Facebook, and you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at MM writer girl. And on Facebook, you can find me at the official Michelle Morgan author page, but I'm, I'm mainly, I'm mainly um, busier on Instagram. Right? That's, that's my, that's my place. That I like to be. Yeah. And a website, do you have that as well? I don't have a website. Um, I just have social media at the moment. It's going out of fashion, isn't it? 
It is. I used to, I did used to have a, a, a website, but then I found that I wasn't updating it, you know, at all. And so I just thought, well, I don't know. I, I sort of left it as a, an experiment to see if I did need it. And it turns out, I don't think I do need it. I think as long as you've got social media where people can contact you, then I think that, you know, that's, that's a good thing. Yeah, I think that's it too. It, it's about yeah. the contact. It's about them being able to sort of get a hold of you. You know, and that. yeah. I also noticed, like, see, now you've written about Madonna. Now that's quite, um, that's quite the challenge, considering how protective she is, and that she's still alive. Yeah, well, I, I'm a huge Madonna fan. Um, have been since I was about 14, and that book actually is a photographic book of. Um, it's I think there's like about 250 photographs, and then I wrote. Um, about 200 or 300 words about that photograph or about that particular time in Madonna's life. So it was, it was a tribute to Madonna. And I actually say it in the introduction as well, that it's like, you know, it's a, a tribute and I have no intention of writing like a big biography about her um, because I know that she doesn't like that kind of thing anyway. And I, I would never want to upset Madonna. No, um, so. <laughs> she should come after you. Look out. Yeah. Exactly. I'll tell you. So I, I, yeah, I would rather just um, have 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 the book that I worked on, which was a lovely photographic book. And I really did enjoy doing that. But that's that's my that my only Madonna book that I've got. That I've got. Then I don't plan to do any more. <laughs> Certainly, no salacious biographies. Oh come on! Just think of the fun you'd have. <laughs> um, well, it, anybody else that you're sort of fascinated with is in in stars that you'd like to write about? Um a good question i mean i i really love like i really love princess diana i think it would be a lovely thing to to write a book about princess diana um and betty davis i was born on betty davis's birthday and i always think of her as you know my birthday buddy and an inspiration so that would be lovely to write a big biography about betty davis Um, but i don't have any plans to write those but you know it's always nice to to keep them in 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 my my list how was I, I know that you were interviewed for the CNN, um, what reframed Marilyn Monroe, I believe it was called. Um, mm-hmm. how, how do you like doing those sorts of shows? Well, I really loved doing that. And normally I, I've, I'm approached quite a few times to do interviews for documentaries. And most of the time I, I have to say I turn them down because it, it seems to me that as soon as I mention that I don't like to speak about any silly conspiracy theories or anything like that they they're like oh okay so I, I i i don't like to to do anything like that but but cnn when they came to me um well it was actually the production company raw who 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 made it they came to me and they they were so convincing that they wanted to present marilyn in you know this human way and that um my contribution would wouldn't be anything you know cons- about conspiracy theories or anything like that and I really liked the the fact that it, it was women who were making it and yeah so I, I just I spent a day with them in 2020 it was September 2020 it was like probably one of the first times I'd been out of the house in, in you know 2020 <laughs> yeah. um, so that was nice I spent all day with them being interviewed for it and it was just a lovely experience so I'm, I'm, I'm glad I did it I haven't actually watched it um, because it hasn't been on in the UK yet so I, ha- I haven't seen it I've no idea really how how much of my interview 
got got on the screen but it was it was a it was a happy day it was a happy thing for me to do oh yeah it's quite good it's very good and you did very well you talked about um marilyn being a lizard woman and uh, (laughs) (laughs) and all sorts of things it was yeah they changed all the words (laughs) oh great (laughs) no i know you even have to have your head powdered like al yeah yeah my last (laughs) show they're they're starting to powder my forehead um Well, they, you know, it, it is, it's an interesting thing, you know, and it's a good thing like that. You know, how was COVID for, for you and writing and, and doing your work? I mean, for, for me, it was, it was, it was okay because you know, I worked from home anyway. Um, the, the thing that was um, quite an adventure was suddenly my daughter was at home from school. You know, obviously, she, I'm used to her going out every morning. And my husband was home working from home so that was uh, um, interesting because I'm used to complete silence the whole day and then all of a sudden the you know the the tv was on and the radio was on and you know this that and the other and so that was a, a bit of a challenge um but once I got into the swing of it, it it was nice having having them home um but yeah the whole thing was just just uh, uh, just I still can't even believe that we went through all that to be honest, it was a it was a very strange time to be alive. It certainly has been. I think the whole last five years or so has been kind of strange. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's kind of what we go through. You know, in, in in the Hollywood time of Marilyn, Marilyn was probably one of the biggest stars in the sixties, wasn't she? One of the highest paid back then. Well, Marilyn's pay. I mean, Marilyn's pay would. would I, I would be quite happy to be on yeah. Marilyn's pay what she was on then. But but um she she was never really hugely well paid in comparison to some of the others. I mean, I wrote a book about Carol Lombard and she was the highest paid actress for a while. And I can't remember how much she was paid, but it was something really, really huge. And um, Marilyn always said that she was never really into it for the, the money, although, you know, obviously she wanted to be to be paid fairly. Um, she was more into it for the the, the good roles and um, having director approval and all that kind of thing. Um, so no, she wasn't one of the hugely paid actresses at all. Although, as I say, it would be nice to be on her money right now. Oh yeah, I mean you know even little money in Hollywood in those days. Um, did, was was she the person that was um, always wanting to be an actress right from a kid? Well, she grew up. Um, not not really wanting to be an actress or she said she didn't really think about being an actress but she did play out um, all the different scenes that she would see in the cinema if she went to see a film she would then play out all these different scenes but she didn't sort of see that it was actually acting she just sort of saw it as playing and then when she was 16 she was sort of married off to the 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 man next door the boy next door and um, during the war somebody came to the factory where she worked and took a picture of her and that's how how she became a model but at that point she was just concentrating on on modeling she wasn't concentrating on acting at all and it wasn't until a year or so later that somebody you know sort of said to her about acting and she started to think about it a little bit more and then all of a sudden you know she she didn't want to be modeling so much anymore that she she did want to to actually be an actress but I think that she was a it was like me when I was saying earlier about how I grew up not realizing that I was a writer, but I actually was. Mm. I think it was the same with her, that she was you know, playing all these different parts, acting out all these different roles, not realizing that 
but that she was actually acting. She was just playing as far as she she was concerned. So, um, yeah, I think that she was she was destined to become an actress one way or the other. Well, she's been very influential. What do you think? Uh, what do you think her legacy is? Well, I think that I mean that depends on who you speak you speak to. Him. I hope that her legacy is of this brave, strong human being who wasn't scared to stand up for herself, wasn't scared to speak out about the things that were going on in Hollywood. You know, she she spoke out about the wolves, as she called them. You know, different producers who tried to to try different things with her and. She spoke out about them and she she walked away from her Hollywood career to start her own film company because she didn't like the roles that she was getting. Um, you know, all sorts of different things like that. She was such a strong person. And I, I really hope that she eventually is remembered for being so strong and one of the bravest women in Hollywood, certainly in my opinion. That's what I would like. Mm. Well. It's always an interesting conversation about stars like uh, Marilyn and, and uh, from people that know all about it. Um, so we really appreciate you being here. We're going to have your social media and your book up on our website so people listening can do one click and find you and find your books. So oh, thank you. It's been a pleasure. I, again, we've been talking with the great uh, Marilyn Monroe writer, uh, Michelle Morgan. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really lovely. Thanks, Michelle. Tired of wasting time trying to decide what to watch on your streaming service? Go to our website and look for the Martino Movie Reviews. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts or shows go to www.houseofmystery.com show's over for now was it as good for you as it was for me yeah good night this has been a production of something weird media i'll be back